Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, once again to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I'm, of course, your host with most, the one and only James Shimo, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, First and foremost, the one and only Caramel Mountain himself, Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, how's it going, man? I'm doing very good. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since we've been on for – well, it's been a while, you guys, but all I just got to say is uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad because a couple of days ago I had like an earache, and Ooh. it was persistent. <laughs> I'm just glad it's gone now or it's manageable to where – I don't have to pull. I don't have to put earplugs in my my left on my left and right side. <laughs> yeah, Lord knows that would be very very difficult to do a podcast with that going on. And of course, joining us as always is the one and only Mister Brenton McPherson. Brenton, you doing all right today, man? Man, I'm doing great. Just been relaxing, you know, man. But that's, you know, on another note, man, that sucks to hear, Ron. I'm sorry about that, dude. Yeah. No. Don't worry, guys. It's it's all good. Like it was just one of those earrings that popped up. I'm going, what was the issue? So I spent a whole day trying to figure out what was the cause, and then afterwards, when I couldn't figure it out, I decided, okay, time to pop in some aspirin and eat garlic. No, <laughs> well, hey, whatever you got to do, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, speaking of medical stuff, uh, unfortunately, we do have a bit of a dour topic on our show today, and it's a good thing you did take care of that uh, medical issue. Uh, sooner rather than later, because who knows, it could have compounded itself and turned into something that was severely tragic. And I think in no, in life in general, there are a lot of tragedies that can come uh, a person's way, but there have been a lot of tragedies uh, over a long period of time in the world of professional wrestling. And that is what we are here to discuss today. What do we believe are the worst, atro- or not atrocities, but tragedies that have taken place within the world of professional wrestling. Now, obviously, we are doing this as a means of drawing attention to the circumstances that led to these tragedies. Uh, we're not trying to glorify any of them. We're not trying to make a light of any of these whatsoever. That is absolutely not what we are here to do. But we are here to count down our picks for the top 10 worst tragedies to have befallen any performer in the world of professional wrestling. And let me just say, like, I, it was, it wasn't tough necessarily narrowing down my list, but it was tough to rank which ones would supersede others in terms of just overall, like, just, man, that sucks, you know? Um, and obviously we did just have the, the recent tragedy with Scott Hall not mm-hmm. too long ago. So this seemed like a, a rather topical uh, subject to cover. So, uh, for those of you who haven't uh, maybe haven't listened to the show before, the way things are going to work is thusly. Ryan is going to start by giving us his number 10, then Brenton will give his number 10, then I will give mine. And we will continue in that pattern for 9, 8, etc., all the way up to number 1. If at any time we run into any commonality on our list, but it happens to be at a different position on our overall list, we will call for what is known as a punt. So, for example, if my number 10 happens to be the same as Ryan's number 7, uh, he will call for a punt, and we will talk about it at the higher position on the list. Uh, oftentimes, there will be commonality at similar levels, as we saw in one of our more recent episodes where we counted down 
uh, the top 10 best promos of all time. Brenton and I tied, I think, in like three separate occasions. It was number 10, number nine, and number two, I believe. Yep. I believe so as well. So, yeah. All right. Well, without any further ado, let us go ahead and get into this. Uh, I do have a, about three honorable mentions on my list, but unless one of you guys is covering them, I'll save listing those off until the end. So, uh, Ryan, let's go ahead and start with you. What is your number 10 in the worst wrestling tragedies list? Well, this one was definitely difficult because when it came to tragedies, I wasn't exactly sure. I mean, of course, when you look at tragedies, the main thing you think about when at least when it comes to WWE, when it comes to wrestling, like either WWE, uh, Ring of Honor, TNA, like wrestling in general, you think of the tragic tragic moments that cost that cost us the lives of a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a little more broad with it, but the more I kept researching, the more I just kept finding more and more unfortunate tragedies. So I guess for this one, I'm going to kick off my list with, even though this was an unfortunate passing, I, it's hard for me to go through this. My number 10 is Brody Lee's passing. Uh, okay. Yeah, not on my list, unfortunately. Uh, Brendan, did you have that anywhere? That was on my honorable mention. Okay. That was that was actually funny because it started off on my honorable mentions because, yeah, wrestlers who have been taken from us too soon, there's plenty about, about this list. and Yeah. Uh, and sure, some people listen, some of you watching, listening, or hell, watching if we ever release this on YouTube. But if you're listening, some of you are gonna think, Oh, reach Regency bias, so that's why I put Brody on here. It's a mixture of it's a mixture of those, but ultimately, he he he, he jumped from honorable mentions number 10, uh, mainly for two reasons. Um, one, his pat, of course, his passing came during the time when he was when he was hot in AEW. And also, it's even more messed up that this happened. It was during a pandemic where we've heard many interviews from Cody, the Bucks, Jericho, uh, John Silver, Reynolds, so many people who have said that Brody's debut in Rochester was meant to be in front of a live crowd. But when they had gotten that, it was just a cut. And Brody did not get the, the ovation that was meant for him. And seeing the run he went on, the character work that he's done with the Dark Order, the relationships he started, makes his passing even that much more unfortunate. Especially the chance that him winning the TNT belt by squashing Cody Rhodes, a match that Cody wanted to happen because he didn't want to, not just for shock and awe, but he wanted to create moments like Bruiser Brody, like squashing, like I forgot the wrestler he squashed in New Japan, but... Cody wanted to make a moment and putting all that in Brody Lee was amazing. And then let's move on. Then moving on to his passing, what happened? AEW, I'm doing this on a lighter note because AEW, they handled it very professionally. And we've talked about this before. They handled it so well because they respected the wishes of Amanda Huber uh, and Brody and other relatives, other people close to Brody Lee. Only a few wrestlers knew that Brody was in the hospital during his time away. And then when the announcing came, not only did they handle it with such grace, that we, we talked about that tribute show they did was incredible. And at the end of that show, not only honoring Brody Lee, but bringing his son out, giving Tony Khan, giving Tony, giving Brody Lee Jr., the TNT belt his dad won, retiring that version of the belt in honor of Brody Lee. 
it was some it's one of those tribute shows that make you re, make you see that when wrestlers are well loved and beloved that they that there is that one moment where you see everyone come together rather their face or heel to put on a great show and entertain everybody and um i mean it's i mean i would love to say more on this but then i don't want to be dragging too much more time so yeah my number 10 is brody lee's passing okay yeah i mean like you said it was a very very it was a very difficult situation to to deal with in the fact that you're right he was so red hot he was doing some of the best work of his career as the exalted one of the dark order and all of that so i mean it sucks that we never really got to see what he was truly able to do on a big stage because in his time as Luke Harper in WWE, we really never got anything really, you know, definitive out of who he was and what he was able to do. And, you know, we really never got a good feel for who John Huber was as a performer. Then to go from that to, you know, doing everything with the dark order and getting that push and squashing Cody was, was a huge deal. And it looked like he was bound for a lot of great things. He even got a world title match against John Moxley at one point at double or nothing in 2020. And it was, it looked like everything was going great until he just kind of disappeared for a bit. And then come to find out he had been dealing with a, a lung issue, non COVID related dying the day after Christmas. And you're right. It, it was a very tragic passing, unfortunately. And, you know, to AEW's credit, they did a, a very nice tribute show, and they've barely touched that that whole storyline and, and have avoided making it a storyline, let me put it that way, yeah. ever since. And I feel like that's, that's really cool. And, again, it's what really led to, you know, CM Punk's return to professional wrestling as well as Brian Danielson making his jump to AEW. So, uh, but, yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely a tragic moment, uh, nonetheless. Brenton, you got anything you want to add? No, you guys pretty much touched on it. I mean, it was one of those things where you had to take a second glance at your computer or your phone or however you were, you know, you found out about it. You know, if you heard it from somebody, you had to be, you know, are you, are you sure? You know, is this a joke? Like, is this some kind of sick jo- joke? Yeah, it's you like, know, is somebody ribbing me here? Yeah, and it was yeah. one of those things also, like, you know, there's, you know, you, you hear wrestlers like, you know, you sit on YouTube, they do the interviews where, you know, you know, dick or no dick, you know, and, you know, some some wrestlers say some wrestlers are dicks some of them say that the, the, the person's not. But Brody Lee was one of those wrestlers that nobody ever had anything bad to say about him. And nobody, literally nobody. Yeah. Bef- you know, in, in like not saying that, you know, people are like going, you know, saying that now because you know, they said it after his death. No, they said it before his death. Yeah, like, I'd never heard anybody speak a bad word about Brody Lee in any situation. And I'm just like, man, you know, it's it, it sucks. It really does. Because, again, I felt like we were just getting into, you know, getting into third gear, as it were, of, like, what he could do. And then to just have that stall out that way was, was, a, was a huge just blow. But, um... Yeah, Brody Lee, you will be missed. Rest in peace, man. All right, uh, let's move on to Brenton. What is your number 10? My number 10 um, is 
we got a death from uh, TNA. Um, the death of Chris Candido. Ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, Candido, I did not have on my list. Uh, good, I would say solid choice, though. I mean, yeah, really, uh, really rough uh, situation there. Yeah, very rough situation. And, you know, it was, it was also, it's another one of the deals where he was, you know, at the top of his game. Um, if I remember correctly, I believe that they were going to, they were starting to push him. Yeah. And it was just a very sudden, sudden thing. And um, I remember watching the early days of TNA and, remember, you know, seeing Chris Candido be like, this dude's the shit. This guy could carry the company, you know, you know, underutilized in WWF, unfortunately, you know, but um, whenever he, he was one of the one of the names that came to mind whenever I was trying to come up with this list. Um, and that so he wasn't the first name and, you know, he wasn't the last either. But um, just because it was kind of a Brody situation. Right. Um, that's true. Yeah. Um, I, that's why I put it on my list. So that's my number 10 is Chris Candido. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like at the time when that happened, I was not as familiar with Chris Candido's work uh, as I should have been as a wrestling fan. But in going back and looking over old ECW stuff and even WWE and things like that, um, very, very talented guy. Um, you know, unfortunate that, you know, things turned out the way that they did. Uh, once again, they did a very nice tribute to him with the uh, Chris Candido Memorial Tournament, uh, which culminated, I believe, at Unbreakable 2005. Um, which was a huge deal. Um, but yeah, it was it was very rough to hear about that, uh, to be sure. Ryan, anything you want to add? Not much to add, unfortunately. I mean, Candido, he filled, he went on to my honorable mentions. It was actually he was actually originally going to be my number ten when I jumped at the Brody Lee because I just didn't know. I'm not very familiar with Candido, but even then, some of the uh, some of the old footage I saw of him in ECW. Working alongside Sonny was very good with his work, and I do agree with Brenton. Man, he had a he felt he looked he he came off like a natural athlete in the ring. Like that's the kind of guy you think. Why is he here in ECW? He should be like in WWF or WCW doing the work. But then you see him in ECW, can you know wrestling alongside the hardcore elements that were of just incredible uh, Taz. I mean, Tajiri, Rey Mysterio during that time, and with uh, and Shane Douglas. So, wish I knew more. I wish I was able to watch more of him in his days in TNA. I only saw two matches of his before his passing, but even then, uh, hearing wrestlers talk about like how good he was in the ring, definitely felt like someone who was definitely taken from us before we could see him get a resurgence. Yeah, definitely potential there for a dark side of the ring episode i would say on his his past and whatnot okay so my number 10 my number 10 i decided to go a little bit different um at least in the beginning because i, I know a lot of these are going to be about tragic deaths and this that and the other but tragic accidents can also happen that don't result in death necessarily in the world of professional wrestling so uh my number 10 is draws Ooh, uh, yeah I remember. That's a good. For those of you guys who don't know uh, the situation, I'll go ahead and lay it down. Um, Draws, aka Darren Drozdov, was having a match with D'Lo Brown. 
Dila went for a power bomb of some sort. Uh, I'm saying draws landed a little too high on the back of his neck. Everything went numb. Everything went limp. Uh, he was carted off on a stretcher. Uh, come to find out, he was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, he is he is still alive because they did do a whole uh, thing with him during the brawl for all, which he was a part of as well. Uh, he seems like he's got a decent quality of life. Granted, he is still in a wheelchair, but he does have some movement back in his uh, fingers and his his upper extremities. So it's he has recovered slightly, not to the level that I think uh, anybody would hope for in this situation, but very, very lucky if you ask me that he escaped any potential like death or anything like that in that situation. So, uh, so yeah, my number 10 is the whole uh, draw situation with his paralysis. Uh, anything to add, gentlemen? Um, I've seen the clip. Um, and it, yeah, it's a wonder that it, it didn't kill him. Um, and D'Lo Brown has gone out, you know, has said that, you know, one of the biggest regrets he's ever had is doing that because he felt as if he, it was his fault that Draws did that. And, you know, and Draws even said, told D'Lo, this, no, that was not your fault. That was just a freak accident. You know, don't blame yourself. And, you know, and yeah, and, and it sucked because I know that um, from what I've heard, Vince May was really big on Draws. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it, it sucks to, you know, that we, we didn't get to see what could have been, um, you know, the potential that the guy had and, you know, what we could have seen from him. Um, but thankfully, yeah, it didn't, you know, it didn't result in his death or anything. So, yeah, thankfully, uh, Ryan, anything to add? No, you guys actually covered a lot. Uh, I only, I know, just like with Candino, I know little draws, and this is just one where, not doing the research or just not knowing enough of him, uh, not much I can really add. Yeah. All right, well, Ryan. With that out of the way, what is your number nine, good sir? Well, my number nine is not a death of a wrestler, but this wrestler did pass away recently. But this tragedy is more focused on during his time with health concerns. My number nine is the uh, situation regarding Kamala, the, you know, the wrestler Kamala during his time suffering diabetes. There was this one tragic instance where when, well, mainly his whole case of fighting diabetes, honestly, because there were three occurrences that happened to him that kind of ended his, any, any opportunity of him wanting to make a pop-up appearance in wrestling. Because when he got, when he was diagnosed with diabetes around 2011, he had to get one of his leg. He had to get his left leg amputated, which cut off any sense of return to the ring. And then a year later, from and honestly, uh, and then a year later, he gets his other leg amputated, which were for, so for the remainder of his years, he had to rely off of disability and fundraisers for people wanting to help him through his medical costs. But this is what leads to the third thing that happened. One noble uh, Don Marie, if you guys remember from ECW, who who later became part of WWE, there was this thing that happened where she start where she did a fundraiser to raise money to pay for Kamala's um, medical bills or help pay you know help take off the ease. But the controversy came where Kamala had went publicly and said he never received a check from Don Marie at all. That he heard news about it, but she never reached out to him. She never sent him a check. And then Don Marie, and then of course some reports were came out where Don Marie was 
countering saying that oh no she sends out she sent out checks to Kamala he only returned them as if you know not needing it um it went into like a he said she said situation or back and forth between did he receive the help and it, it I don't know if it got too nasty uh unfortunately when I tried to find more research on this couldn't find enough links to give me if it to tell me if they did resolve this issue but this is definitely my number three just the whole um Unfortunately, uh, up and up, Kamala's up and up, up and uphill battle with diabetes. I don't know why I'm stuttering, but that's my yeah. Okay, yeah, I uh, did not have that anywhere on my list, uh, but yeah, definitely a, a really rough situation in that in that uh, instance of just a guy having to deal with some medical issues, and you know, it's it, it happens to all of us, you know, but when we are raised to watch these guys and appreciate their work. And, you know, you start to think of them as almost these unstoppable, like superheroes almost. And then to find out they're all too human is, it, it can be very difficult every now and then, but uh, Brenton, anything to add? No. Um, I mean, I, I was aware of Kamala's, you know, uh, be, you know, being a diabetic and, you know, unfortunately losing both legs. Um, but I did not know about the Don Marie uh, and that whole shabacle. I did not know about that. Um, so that's actually new, new news to me. Um, but no, I don't have anything else to add on that. Okay. Uh, then, Brenton, we move to your number nine. My number nine is the death of Brian Pillman. Uh, punt. All right. Yeah. All right. That one was actually my <clears throat> number eight. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, punt on that one. Uh, so my number nine uh, is going to go, and again, this is going to tie in with one of those Dark Side of the Ring episodes. And, you know, again, it was a tragedy when it happened, even though the death didn't come immediately from it. It came a little bit later. Uh, but my number nine is the mass transit incident. Yep, very well. Oh. Yeah. That was on my honorable mentions. Yeah. So for those of you guys who are not familiar, um, there was a young man uh, by the name of Eric Kulas who went under the name Mass Transit. He was trained to be a wrestler, uh, had a bus driver gimmick, this, that, and the other. He ended up being selected to fill in for, uh, I believe it was Axel Rotten at a uh, ECW house show uh, against New Jack and uh, Mustafa uh, of the Gangsters, uh, uh, teaming with Devon Dudley. And again, a lot of people will not have a lot of sympathy for him because he lied about his age. He was a minor. He was only 17 years old, uh, was not trained, uh, and, you know, just had no business being in the ring. Uh, and then of all people to be in the ring against someone like new Jack, who we know has zero chill. Um, you know, it's, it, it's just a bad mix. And to top that off, going up to new Jack and saying, Hey, uh, while we're out there today, you know, can I get some offense in and just like trying to tell a veteran what to do, especially one who is as, you know, volatile as New Jack, really bad idea. And then an even worse idea to ask the other guy to blade you since you haven't done it before. Uh, all of that combined led to just this massive beat down. I mean, you, you, you really can't describe this other than just a prison beating, uh, getting, you know, cut with a scalpel, stabbed beaten with chairs. Uh, the young man's father was in the front row saying, he's just a kid, leave him alone, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
And then after all of this was done, come to find out he lied about his age, uh, tried to take ECW to court. But thankfully, once they uh, the courts figured out he lied about his age, the case was thrown out. Like I said, very messed up situation, something that never should have happened. Uh, but unfortunately, it did. And now, uh, once again, a young man who could have potentially had a very, you know, very lucrative future in the business if he, you know, learned things the right way, done things the right way, and, you know, not taking this risk and, you know, try to go for the easy glory early, um, you know, might still be entertaining us today. You know, you never know. But, uh, Ryan, anything you want to throw in here? I honestly forgot about the mass transit incident until you were bringing this up. And, wow, yeah, just I remember hearing about this story. And as a wrestling fan, as someone who wanted to be a wrestling fan, I was heartbroken, I mean, to hear this. I mean, yeah, the kid lied about his age, which, in all honesty, is not something you should do. I mean, people lie about their age in order to get jobs. But when it comes down to... You're in a you're you're gonna be involved in a physical contact sport where you're gonna be risking your body. And if you don't know what you're doing out there, then you are more responsible for your own well. I mean, you're more you're not only responsible for your well-being, but you're pretty much you just signed your own hospital bills, honestly. You might as well just be start checking yourself in the hospital day in and day out if you've never trained if you've never at least gone through some uh physical conditioning in order to be a part of this and a part of me wants to also put some blame on the ecw side as well because yeah new jack he's crazy he's batshit crazy but seriously he's being in a tag match you you didn't think i mean nobody once went to ask this kid uh like if he understood the plan going in or what he wanted to do i mean yeah i get it he's it's a different it was a different time so it's more of like you either understand what's happening or you don't but blame is definitely on both sides. I mean, yes, when they found out that he is underage, of course, the kid had no right to sue. But still, seeing how someone like New Jack in there, he I don't know if New Jack was ever reprimanded for going that hard. But to me, if I was in management position, I would have told New Jack, you crossed the line there. Yeah, we found out he's underage, but that was something you should not have done. And I would have made I would have probably not paid him for at least a couple for a week or maybe a couple for a month because of his actions personally. But even then, man, it's a fucked up scenario. And it's just one of those reminders to fans out there. You think you're tough just going in the ring against these guys just because you think it's fake? Wrong. These guys, they're professionals. They are physically conditioned. And they know. And the fact they know how to pull a punch should say a lot about when they don't pull their punches. Yeah. Uh, Brenton, as someone who actually has, you know, worked and has, you know, trained to be a part of the business in some way, shape or form. How did this story, for, did you know about the story before you started training or did it come up afterwards? And being that you have had some experience in the ring, how does your perspective on this, how has it changed maybe from the first time that you heard this story? Um, so I knew about the mass transit incident before I ever started wrestling. Um, and I'm actually getting back into it. Um as we're talking and you know, as for being, so for being somebody in the ring, you know, I, I understand wanting to be a wrestler and I mean, and I don't want to come off. I'm not trying to come off as a dick. I'm really not, you know, but I don't have res 
you know, much respect for people that lie about their age to get something or lie about anything to get something, you know, you know, should he have done it? No. You know, do I, did I want him to die? Absolutely not. You know, because, yeah, he could if he had done it the right way, he could have had a bright future. I've actually done a lot of research on this. Um, I've actually seen the footage. Um, if you've never seen the footage, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, but, you know, he from what I've researched and what I've read, he claimed to be trained by, if I, if I remember correctly, Larry Sabisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot how old he actually he said that he actually that he was. He claimed, um, I believe, he was twenty or twenty-one. I believe it was, it was something like that. Um, his father uh, apparently vouched for him. Um, and um, he apparently, you know, and then the match happened. Um, yeah, he asked New Jack to blade him because he'd never done it before. New Jack said okay. Um, he did. Um, and one of the only incident inc- or, or moments that, you know, probably one of the few moments where New Jack actually showed concern was like, he actually said, are you okay in the match? You can't hear him say it, but it's when he goes to, at one point he goes to pick him up and he says, are you okay? Cause he could tell he's like, this dude's legit messed up. Um, and that's when you can hear his dad yelling, you know, he's, he's just a fucking kid stop the match this that and the other um when they when it came to them going to court i know they were suing ecw they tried to prosecute new jack for um attempted murder um, assault among other things assault yeah. i think it was something like that you know and they um of course the court threw out threw it all out because they found out that he lied about his age and lied that about being a professional wrestler or being trained to be a professional wrestler. Um, but, um, you know, but when it comes to the other side of the situation, um, you know, honestly, and it's a one incident where I don't blame, I really don't blame New Jack because New Jack was just doing what he was told to do. And New Jack had no idea. But when it comes to the ECW company as a whole, you know, you need to do some background, you need to check. You need to do some background on this. Somebody there had to have known somebody that knew Larry Sabisco, or maybe they themselves knew Larry Sabisco. Somebody, you know, they should have checked on this. They should have been like, okay, hold on. Let me, you know, have you, they should ask more questions. Have you ever, you know, what other promotions have you wrestled for? Um, You know, is there somebody we can contact, you know, that can also vouch for you other than your dad because we have no idea who the fuck you are. Instead of just saying, oh, okay, and then letting them wrestle. Yeah. Um, uh, looking up, I'm sorry, I'm just looking up some more information on this. Uh, he claimed to be trained by Killer Kowalski. Not Killer Kowalski. Me. Yeah, uh, he was 17 years old, claimed to be 21. Uh, before the match, Kowalski asked New Jack to believe him since he had never done it himself. New Jack agreed. Uh, let's see. He was hit with crutches, toasters, just your standard hardcore style stuff mm-hmm. where new Jack then bladed, uh, Kulos with a surgical scalpel as the two had agreed cut to deep severed two arteries in his forehead. Uh, the kid was then screaming in pain and passed out as the blood poured from his head. Um, uh, again, later on, uh, let's see, here we go. Legal action. Three years later, 
Uh, after the incident, New Jack was tried on charges of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and was later sued by the Kulas family. After hearing Kulas asked to be cut, a jury acquitted him, and he was later found not liable in civil court. Uh, wrestlers testified that Kulas was extremely arrogant and demanding backstage prior to the match, and when told that he would have to bleed as part of the match, Kulas had asked uh, uh, New Jack to bleed him since he had never done it. The court also heard his father shout, he's only 17, and take it easy on him, he's just a kid, when they isolated his son from Devon Dudley during the match and double-teamed him. So, yeah, there were, uh, let's see, uh, authorities later determined that Kulas had lied to Heyman about his age and experience. Kulas claimed to be 21 years of age, was only actually 17, also claimed to have been trained by Killer Kowalski and his father vouched for him, but Kulas was never trained to wrestle. Uh, in the rise and fall of ECW, Paul Heyman says that Kulas' dubious credentials as a student of Killer Kowalski were endorsed by the uh, little person wrestler Tiny the Terrible, who also vouched for him. Sad. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so. it, it, it's been so long since I've even like looked into this story, but I, I, I there were some things I couldn't fully remember, like who he was trained by and stuff like that. Um, I knew it was some, it was an older wrestler. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it's one of those things where, you know, kind of like how Ron said, both sides were at fault. Um, the only person I actually do not fault is New Jack. Okay. Because yeah. he was just doing what he was told. And it's a freak accident. That I mean, that was a freak. That was a freak. It was a thing. It was a freak accident. You know, and someone who has seen blading done um, and who has been bladed, but it was bladed before. If you're if you're an aspiring per like, if you're a kid out there and you're wanting to be a wrestler or hell if you're an adult and you're wanting to be a wrestler, do not ever and I mean ever ask somebody to blade you. If you can't do it, then don't. If you don't know how to do it, have somebody show you where what to do. Don't have somebody do it for you. Yeah. Right, but we do have to we do have to keep moving here because we do we still have eight more spots to get through. Yeah. So anyway, uh so Ryan, you are up next with your number eight. Well, my number eight was um right, and uh mine, let me see, where did I have that at? Okay, I have that at number seven. So we can we can go ahead and talk about it. All right, so Brian Pillman, let's go ahead okay. and cover this then so uh ryan we'll go ahead and start with you because obviously i think the 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 tragic nature of what went on with brian pillman i think has been well documented on dark side of the ring but let's just for anybody who has may not have seen it and may not have known about it go ahead and give us a quick rundown if you would please oh I, hold on uh, one second guys my microphone's acted up yeah, no worries man go ahead Well, I guess from uh, hold on, uh, three, two. When it comes to Brian Pillman, honestly, um, I'm most likely between you and Brendan. I'm I'm still like one of the uh, less knowledgeable about him outside of you know listening to podcasts talking about Pillman. But at least what I knew about Pillman was um, his dealings with, at least from what I'm aware of, his like like mental health issues or at least health issues in general. So learning about his uh, death due to, uh, I can't remember if it was just like a heart attack or it was just some, 
Oh my god! I wish I had the. Uh, wish I had my notes on that. I just, I'm just going off of a piece of paper. But, but from what I know about what happened with Brian Brian Pillman, it came at a really unexpected time, especially after when he was going through the ropes. Because this was not too far removed from the whole Brian Pillman had a gun angle, from what I can recall. And scene going in, Brian Pillman, they had put him in a feud with Gold Dust. It was going to be this thing to where they, they were going to slowly try to rebuild him back up. And then when he, when unfortunately, when he ended up being dead about, I think, before the hours before the bad blood pay per view. It really was unfortunate, um, especially I got to see earlier. I got to go through the WWE library looking at WCW, Brian Pillman's Jr.'s early career with Steve Austin, the Hollywood Blondes, seeing how well he was being associated with the four horsemen, just seeing like how good of a career he had. And then he has, uh, unfortunately, he, he leans into the uh, unstable mental health angle. And personally to me, for character-wise, it was something that got stuck with him that underplayed a lot of how good he was. But despite my personal feelings of how his character was handled, his death, though, man, it really was it, – it was not shocking, but I think to me personally, it had to be the interview that, that WWE, WWE or WWF choosing to interview his wife just less than 24 hours removed of the news – I mean, I, I honestly have not heard. The, I only heard a snippet of this interview, honestly. But from many articles and many pundits I've heard, I've heard talk about this, they thought they felt that this was not something that WWF should have done. Should have let um, they should have let her grieve, let her uh, you know, let her have time to heal or give her as much time as possible before they chose to talk to her again. But because this was during the time of the Attitude Era and it was all about ratings, they thought, oh, let's get everybody up to date. Let's keep everyone invested here. And this was also around that stupid time where Vince really was trying to not insult everyone's intelligence. But still, him trying to bring realism into wrestling honestly really hurt. It's one of the reasons why I was majority WCW during the 90s until like the 98 when I started watching WWF because I, because I think it's when it became more focused on characters. But even then, um, with the with as much as I've read, with, which as much I'm trying to read or from when it came with Brian Pillman, his death and passing, it sucks. Because when you think of Brian Pillman, especially to someone who's new or knows less about him like I do, the first thing you come across is the maniac or unstable Brian Pillman before you look into his earlier stuff as part of the Hollywood Blondes, his work with the Four Horsemen, you know? So as as a tragedy as his death was, I personally, I think the real tragedy when it comes to Brian Pillman is that it overshadowed not not intentionally, not intentionally, but the death along with the character and then the Brian Pillman's got a gun sketch. All three of those just became unfortunate uh, poisons over his unfortunate shadows over his what really is a very great career. I will say Brian Pillman. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, it's it's sad that such a great worker is mainly just attributed to this one thing. Uh, Brenton, anything you want to go ahead and add? 
I mean, Ryan pretty much touched on everything I was going to touch on. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, let's go ahead. What is your number eight, Brenton? My number eight is the um, is the overdose of Miss Elizabeth. Ooh, yeah. Um, see, I think I had that. Yeah, I had that as my honorable mention. She was an honorable mention too. She was a just like with uh, Candido. She was originally on my list, but I bumped her off for another tragedy. You know, it was one of those things. She was, you know, died young. You know. And it was just an unfortunate situation, you know, and it, it, I don't know much about it. I just know about the situation. I don't know much about the situation. I, you know, I do know that, of course, that she overdosed. Um, I do know that, you know, she was no longer with Savage. I believe she was with Lex Luger at the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and, you know, for that to happen, you know, in any any time something like that happens, it sucks. Um, but you know, I knew you know what she was. That that whole tragedy came to mind when I was trying to come up with this list. Um, was you know, it like I said, you know, it wasn't the last one to come up on the list. Um, but it was towards the end. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't you know I can't believe I forgot about that. That was you know awful. You know. So it was just sad to see because I, you know, Miss Elizabeth is such an iconic, you know, figure in, you know, the golden era of WWE or WWF, mm-hmm. you know. So my number eight was the overdose of Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Miss Elizabeth was a, a huge tragedy again at the time. She had left, finally had enough of Randy Savage's paranoid you know, jealous behavior left him, uh, had started, uh, you know, kind of secretly dating Lex Luger because I believe he was still married at the time, or I think he was separated or going through a divorce, but then hadn't been finalized yet. Um, and yeah, they had been taking, uh, pills. Uh, she had overdosed on pills and, you know, Luger was distraught on the 911 call. And unfortunately they pronounced her dead. I believe uh, as soon as they, Got they got her to the hospital. Um, yeah, terrible, terrible situation. You get the feeling that if she hadn't been, you know, put through so much high profile stuff with regards to like her relationship with Randy, if Randy hadn't been so paranoid, maybe she wouldn't have felt the need to, you know, do some of this stuff. But again, you know, there's life's full of what ifs, we can't, you know, fixate on them too much. Uh, all we can do is recognize that it happened. And unfortunately, uh, one of the, literally uh, w- the woman a lot of people consider to be the first lady of wrestling uh, passed away way too young, and you know just from a cause that could have been easily prevented. You know, uh, Ryan, anything to add? Honestly, it's Brenton. He actually covered most of what I wanted to talk about with Elizabeth as well, and you as well, James. Especially um, her passing was something that really could have been prevented. Um, like, a, I mean, it's a shoulda, woulda, coulda event, but seeing that, because I remember in WCW, they actually did replace snippets of Lex Luger's call to 911, which to me at that time, I'm going, 
Wait, this is supposed to be wrestling. Why are they showing something that actually wait. happened? What was that, Brendan? No, his dog was my yeah. damn dog. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, but uh, from what I was saying, it was just it was one of those eerie situations. I mean, it's where you know the unfortunately real life collided with wrestling to where they couldn't avoid it, but also they didn't really handle it that well. Because the way the broadcast was going, it almost made it seem as if Lex Luger was almost responsible from the way that they were handling it. At least from when I was a kid listening to this and watching it, I'm going, are they trying to imply Luger's responsible? Because it almost makes it seem as if they have a someone who's an alleged manslaughter in, employed in their company. That, that, that's what it came out to me. But even then, looking back at it now, I realize that. Her, it, it it really is unfortunate. She was taken from us so soon. I would have loved to have seen her pop up, like if she ever, like, you know, when she was inducted into the Hall of Fame, to see her, you know, still alive, you know, still thriving, you know, still healthy. Maybe even see her pop up for one of those WWE Legend spots, you know. So it's one of those things where you can look back and go, oh, it would have been great to have seen this Elizabeth interact with, you know, uh, Trish or uh, Lita. Um, like so many of the rest female wrestlers we know today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, my number eight is it is a tragic situation, but it also has a bit of a bright spot uh in it. Uh so my number eight is the passing of Shad Gaspard. Ooh. Yeah, that a little was bit a of recency there. That was, that a was an honorable mention. Okay, yeah. But um again, for those of you who don't know, Shad Gaspard, formerly one half of crime time alongside JTG uh, was swimming with his family, his son, uh, he and his son got caught in a, I believe an undertow of some kind uh, rescuers managed to get out there. He made sure that they got his son, but he got pulled under, didn't reemerge. And then his body was found, I think somewhere up the beach or up the shoreline about a day later. Uh, I can't remember the exact timeline. Um, Sucks that anybody goes in that way. Uh, but again, the main reason I want to cover it is, again, uh, to just show the character of Shad and who he was and the type of person he was. He made sure his son was safe first. He didn't care about himself as long as his son was safe. And, you know, to see him get the Warrior Award this year and to see him honored in that way, I think, was was really cool. So. Uh, like I said, not too much to say about this one. I'm going to keep it fairly short and sweet. Anything you gentlemen want to add? Um, um, you, you no. Yeah, you touched it. Okay. Well, we will go ahead and move forward then. Uh, Ryan, what is your number seven? Well, my number seven, this is the tragedy I, that bumped Miss Elizabeth off my list. And now it's not a big wrestler death tragedy, but this was a tragedy that affected a wrestler that was that was um Kaya Stevens, aka Awesome Kong, or aka Karma at the time WWE, her miscarriage during mm. her ah. time. Wow. Yeah. I, now, didn't even, I, I didn't even consider that, I'll be honest. I'll be honest, this was something I was gonna write as an honorable mention, but then the more I kept thinking about it, it does play into what is a real life almost scary situation for any female wrestler in the business. Her 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 pregnancy came at a time when WWE was announcing her debut after the video packages. This came when she had been doing nothing but attacking divas, 
they were setting up her to go up against they were building her they were building her up as this monster and then all of it comes to a short when she goes out to the ring because at first she was a speechless speechless you know like how they how WWE pushes their monsters but then she comes out and she tells everyone in the audience that she's pregnant and her one of her biggest dreams was to become a mother and then of course they leave this little end tag with you know the bellas coming out mocking her like heels which Honestly, it's just more cringe when you look at their stuff. And then it teases Karma saying that I have a new dream to come back and you know de demolish YouTube. Teasing that when they were when she returns, she's gonna brew with the belt feud with the Bellas. But then I think a couple months later, she has a miscarriage. She's out for a while. She doesn't repeal, she doesn't come back until the I think like 2018. Yeah, that were rumble. The the one where Seamus won. No, not, not 2018. In 2012. Yeah, 2012. Thank you. The 2012 Royal Rumble. She comes out, uh, does that little spot on Michael Cole, eliminates him and Dolph and Dolph Ziggler, and you know gets the gets that little pop, and then she's released. But despite the, but here's what I want to get to the meat of the bones for the first one. One, the mental effect. Well, no, the physical effect. I mean, WWE. Many female wrestlers have come out and said that Vince, or at least. Those in charge of WWE, they're very hard on the wrestlers who want to have, who, you know, who wants to have a life, you know, like have children, get married, you know, because they've. I've heard many accounts from wrestlers saying how WWE is pushing them in order to make them look physically like beautiful, like irresistible, you know, forcing them to go through like body dysmorphia at times. I mean, especially recently listening to. Especially like a year ago, listening to uh, the inspiration, like uh, Jessica, Jessica McKay and Cassie Lee about their accounts with the company on how the uh, mixture of the audience and even sometimes pressure from the higher ups has, has affected their the toll on their body. And then also recently with Becky Lynch, she had, she had to dip out. She had to relinquish her belt because she had become pregnant. Now, when I here's what I want to get on my first point: women already have. We've already seen women wrestle. Women who want to wrestle in the industry—they're already on one of the biggest hills in this industry. They have to make themselves not only in—they not, they not only have to look great. They have to look believable. They have to get—they have to win a crowd. They have to be almost perfect in order to be successful, or even come close to successful in order to you know be seen as a hot commodity. So if they ever leave a company, they go to another one, they can be able to build their brand. Now, one of the things they have, one of the things I've read in reports and listened in podcasts, that one of the things they've had to sacrifice was wanting to start a family, especially if they get married and they're with someone they can see themselves having kids with. Kid not, un, not being able to have kids was a sacrifice they had to make in order to dedicate themselves to wrestling. And even if they did, there was always that sense that they were being punished because they got pregnant, because they chose to, you know, have a baby. Or a baby, it just happened to them unexpectedly. And uh, one instance I can see is uh, Maria Kanellis. I mean, she's not really much of a wrestler, though, but when she and Mike showed back up in WWE, she ended up getting pregnant during a run and they used that pregnancy to do this stupid storyline where Maria cheated on Mike and she was teasing the father that baby was. Now, maybe it was a sense of comedy and Maria and Mike did their damnness to sell it. 
but it show, but it stands a testament to something stupid that I don't know if what's going on with the company or just the stigma in general that women can't, you know, have a life that's not involved with wrestling. Just because men choose to dedicate all of their life to wrestling does not mean that that same standard needs to be held to women. Now, I'm not going off and saying, oh, women need to be treated differently, but no, the fact that women have this g- given ability to carry a child, give birth to a child, does not, it, it shouldn't be some type of weight to hold them back. It should be something that should be cherished, especially in the wrestling industry when Vince has always loved, Vince loves the idea of second, third generation wrestlers. He loves to tag on legacy. So when he, I'm sorry, I'm going to get into a rant here, but I'm just going to tighten myself back up and just go with, and go to my second point. The mental, it ties back into the first one. You have the physical toll and then you have the mental toll to where it does affect them. It affects them. In the ring, it's going to affect them outside. It's going to affect their attitudes. Her, uh, Karma's miscarriage really did play a lot. It, it affected her WWE career. Now, she's able, she was definitely able to recover. She goes back to TNA. She has a great run against Awesome Kong. She wrestled a few matches in New Japan, and her legacy is set. It's just that one time in WWE, she gets pregnant, has a miscarriage. And I don't know what it was. I mean, I don't know what... I don't know the backstage story. And, you know, maybe they're not telling. But it just seems weird to me, especially from hearing so many accounts from so many female female wrestlers, valets, and referees that they have to put pregnancy on hold just because Vince said so. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a WWE, it may be a WWE tangent for you listening, and I may have droned on, but it's just one of those things. It's just it's just one of these situations that really wraps around my head, especially many of you out there who maybe have a girlfriend or some. If there's women listening who who have jo- who have worked in job industries, the difficulties with maternity leave or just being. I mean, so many. I've heard so many stories of women during the pandemic and quarantine who have had to work pregnant or risk working pregnant, you know, in order to make ends meet. And even then how fucked up our system is by not the whole thing with maternity leave or provide or with single mothers out there, you know, it's a whole fucked up system and seeing how wrestling just kind of, it's seeing how wrestling is not um, untouched by this. It just, God, it, it makes my brain melt. It literally makes me get an aneurysm. Not not literally, but it theoretically gives me an aneurysm when I think about it. <clears throat> and for those of you who are still listening through all of that, I will be putting up a poll to uh, figure out whether or not I should be charging Ryan for these therapy sessions. <laughs> but in any case, <laughs> less per day or for the, or for the hour. That's what the thing is. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on since uh, Ryan took us down the rabbit hole on that one. Yeah, uh, Brent, that's, what is your number that's seven? On that's on me. My number seven is the death of the Ultimate Warrior. Ah, okay. Did not have that one on my list. Neither did I. Um, just because it was just so unexpected. Yeah. Literally was. was inducted in the Hall of Fame on Saturday night, died on Monday, and then died on Tuesday. It was on Monday Night Raw. The day next day, dead. 
it, I mean, there's there's not much more you can really say about that. Yeah, but. there's nothing more you can say about it. It was just so it, it's it was just so it was so unexpected, so sudden, out of the blue. Another one of those moments where you had to look at your phone or the, your computer and go, "Wait, what?" Yeah, because you you couldn't believe it. Yeah, you couldn't believe it. So that you know, um, nothing more, nothing else really to be said about it. Um, other than you know, big tragedy. Um, you know, we did get the old, we did get the Warrior Award out of it. Yeah. You know. But you know, uh, you know, at a you know terrible cost. Yeah, unfortunately, so, literally night and day. Like, yeah, you had the I mean, high point. High point. We're in the Hall of Fame. Monday Raw makes that speech, that and powerful and passionate speech. Yeah, which takes on a whole new meaning. You know, knowing that his passing was only coming less than twenty four hours later. So, but. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to say. Ultimate Warrior had his ups and downs in the company, to be sure. And to have been able to mend fences with everybody, to have that moment in the Hall of Fame, to have that moment at WrestleMania one last time coming out to be inducted as a new inductee to the Hall of Fame, to come out on Raw and to be allowed to cut that promo, and then to literally drop dead not 24 hours later. I mean... Just damn, you know, in the words of Ron Simmons, damn. damn. Anyway, yeah, like I said, I know I said I wasn't going to make light of any of this stuff. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself on that one. Let's move ahead. Um, so anyway, my number seven was the Brian Pillman situation. So let's go to Ryan with your number six. Okay, my number six. Um, this one is um, another one that's uh, – this is a really uh, – Kind of, this one's really tragic in my per- opinion. It may, it personally, I am surprised I put it at six, but my number six is Chris Canyon's suicide. Uh, let me see where I've got that one. Uh, punt, we're gonna punt on that one, okay? Yeah, uh, Brenton, you're number six. My number six is an is a sad and um, an old one, actually. The car crash that took the life of Adrian Adonis. Okay, yeah, I did not have that one on here. So yeah, floor I is yours. That death, I knew I know little about that. So uh, you know, I, I know I know a little about it too. All I know is that it took the lives of pretty much everybody in the car. Oof. Um, you know, and Adrian Adonis was one of those that was being groomed to be one of the next top guys. Yeah, you know, awesome gimmick, um, charismatic as hell. Great in-ring worker. I mean, the dude had it all. I mean, he he had it all. And just, boom, one thing takes it all away. Yeah. You know, it was such a tragic moment. I know it was a tragic moment for wrestling fans at that time. Because um, even though he was, I believe he's, a, you know, even though he's a heel, you know, he's still – Beloved, he was loved by you know loved by everybody from what I've heard, and he was just a great guy from what I've what I've read and stuff. Um, so my number six was the death of Adrian Adonis in the car crash. Yeah, like I said, can't talk too much on it because I don't know much about it. But yeah, that sucks. Not just that Adrian Adonis, who was being groomed for a, a, a very top spot, uh, 
passed away, you know, in the middle of something like that, but to take, you know, however many other people who are in the car with him, uh, people who more than likely didn't deserve what happened even more, any more than he did. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's saddening and it's, it's depressing to think about. Um, so yeah, but I don't know that there's much more really to cover on that one. Ryan, you got anything? No, unfortunately, I, 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 like I said, I know a little about that. It's just what Britain said was just as much as I knew about it. Yeah. All right. Well, then let us move ahead then uh, to my number six. Uh, my number six is another oldie. Uh, you know, again, another very tragic situation because it took uh, a man not away, not just away from his fans, but from his wife and his son. Um, my number six is the murder of Bruiser Brody. Punt. Okay. We will keep that one as a punt. That one, uh, I, 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 that one, I, that, that got forced out of my list. Okay, so we are punting on that one. So we move to Ryan for your number five. Well, my number five is the tragic death of Owen Hart. Punt. punt. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Brenton, you're up. My number five is Bruiser Brody, the stabbing okay, of Bruiser so Brody. Small punt. Small punt. Yeah, it okay. wasn't a huge punt. It was, it was a you know just a tiny little punt. Um, it's like an onside kick at this point. <laughs> there you yeah. go. There you go. Onside kick. Uh, <laughs> Football yeah. references. Um, <laughs> that whole situation is so if messed not, up. It, no, I wouldn't say it. it's fucked up. Yeah, I was trying to be a little bit more diplomatic, but yeah, I mean, there's no gap around it. Can't sugarcoat it. Yeah, you know. If nobody, if if you, if the, you know, those that are listening, if you do not know this story, you need to read, you need to read it. You, ne- you need to read about it. Yeah. Or watch the dark side of the ring episode. Or watch the dark, yeah, watch the dark side of the ring. The whole situation is just unreal. And, you know, and we were, you know, and we lost someone who was beloved by audiences beloved by the people in the back and a te- and was taken away from us in a terrible way yeah uh. it, it was just such a it, it's needless. Uh, it, you know needless is the word i would use to describe it, it, was a, it yes it was um and you know Somebody taken out of the, you know, taken away at his prime, you know, and yeah, taken away from his wife and his son. It, it was, it was bullshit. Yeah. Major uh, bullshit. Yeah. To go into a little bit of further detail for those of you listening who may not know the story. And again, I do encourage you to either read up on it or watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode on Vice that covers the whole thing. Um, several wrestlers, including uh, Dutch Mantel, Tony Atlas, and Bruiser Brody had gone to Puerto Rico to do a couple of shows uh, down that way for uh, Carlos Colon's uh, promotion in that area. Um, during the course of being down there, I guess Bruiser Brody had rubbed somebody the wrong way, and he ended up getting stabbed in the shower in the locker room before the show was even set to go on. They, you know, they wheeled him out. They took him to the hospital. And, you know, Tony Atlas went with him because he wasn't, you know, going to just let him be alone. But they sent him back to the show. And the guy that he saw do it, or that he at least claimed he saw do it or had something to do with it, was still sitting there just acting like nothing was wrong, like nothing had happened. And it 
pissed Tony off to where he started saying, you know, that's the guy right there. He's the one who killed Bruiser Brody. But of course, the Puerto Ricans down there, they thought everything that happened in wrestling was real. So they believe that Bruiser Brody was as manic and as dangerous and this, that, and the other uh, as his character. So the guy got off uh, on a plea of self-defense. Never even went to trial. or A lot of people were given subpoenas that said, hey, show up for a court date, this, that, or the other. Never heard anything from him about it until after the the verdict had come down, which was, it, it just screams kangaroo court to me. Um, but yeah, to, to have a guy like that, who, again, a lot of people respected, especially a guy like Tony Atlas, who we know is like one of the nicest guys, uh, you know, in the backstage area, or at least from what I've heard, he's one of the nicest guys. Just, it just, again, needless, senseless, and, Again, something that should never have happened could have easily been prevented if cooler heads had prevailed. So, uh, Ryan, anything you want to add in this? You guys pretty much covered every pocket of that. And I do admit it is really reading about this and uh, just, yeah, it's it's really frustrating. I mean, I get it. I mean, even, even then, uh, listening from other wrestlers talking about their time, like, wrestling in different, like, even for the Cologne, for Carlos Cologne, or in, during Triple A, or just wrestling in Mexico, and how I won't say insane or how serious they take it, but knowing that those fans, uh, it feels like it's a level of toxicity to where it was just toxic for no fucking reason. But then, even then, the situation regarding Bruiser Boy, it was pointless, personally. That's how it feels to me. Completely pointless. Yeah. I wish it could have been resolved i wish it didn't get there but it happened and not much can not there's not much i can say about it just realizing just hopefully next time if something like this happens hopefully we all have cooler heads and realize like we shouldn't try to take it that far yeah absolutely all right my number five encompasses a tragedy that affects not just one individual but five individuals as well as their entire family uh my number five is the von eric family punt. okay punt. we're gonna punt on that one okay uh ryan we go to you next then what's your number four my number four this one this is possibly my actually hold on let me take a look here wait a minute wait a second oh wait i think i'm holy shit i'm off on my list here uh-oh <laughs> Looks like one of your honorable mentions is about to get promoted. Yeah, it looks like I, I accidentally I have nine on here, not ten. <laughs> well, then okay, drop yeah. that in as your number. Drop drop one of your honorable mentions in as a number ten, and we'll just move ahead. Okay. Um, well, actually, you know what? I'll pick this one. I mean, as much as I would love to pick one of your the one of you guys and put it on here, my the honorable mention I'm going to put on number ten. Is a junkyard dog his passing? Ah, yeah, JYD. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm picking it because, um, I mean, the his passing it was really unfortunate. Kind of, almost not as similar to Ultimate Wars, but kind of like where he he dies while going leaving while, while heading home from his daughter's graduation, and it was really a sad death too because he's leaving that he's leaving her at a point where. You know, she's celebrating this moment of her life, and it's unfortunately just tied to it. And then, of course, I mean, 2004, when he's 
when he's brought into the Hall of Fame, she's there to accept it. And then she ends up dying not too far, like pretty much 31 years to that day. I mean, 31 years to that day of her father's passing. I don't know what it was, but it was just something about reading that and then doing my research. It really hit me. So Yeah. No, no, I hear you. All right. So JYD will go in as your number 10 then. So your number four would then be the Owen. one we just recently covered. So Four would be Owen. Yeah, uh, would be Owen Hart. Okay, so then, Brenton, what is your number four? The Death of Eddie Guerrero. I had that on my honorable mention mainly because it plays into a different one that's on my list. Eddie was originally going to be my four until I realized I had nine, so technically he's my number three. Okay. So we'll we'll talk about it at the number three spot then. So, uh, so we'll go into my number four then, which is uh, the Chris Canyon situation, mm. which was the pun from earlier. Again, yes. Those of you who are not familiar, Chris Canyon, great worker, was a great uh, talent. Got saddled with a lot of kind of hokey stuff like the Mortis gimmick back in WCW, and then. Uh, he went on to kind of do his own thing. He had a run with DDP, you know, the who better than Canyon, all this kind of stuff, which was great. Um, but apparently all throughout this entire situation, he had been in the closet. He had never really come out and said, hey, you know, I'm gay. You know, and it just is what it is. And, you know, Matt Jackson uh, of the Young Bucks details how he had Canyon involved with them on a lot of the the small little indie shows that they would run and uh, the backyard shows that they would do when they were younger. And basically Canyon came out to him because he felt like he could. And, you know, Matt never judged him for it. Neither did Nick. Um, but they, they chronicle a very tense situation where Canyon calls Matt up and says, dude, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, Matt had to talk him down and this, that, and the other. And, you know, he, he worried the whole night, couldn't sleep. Uh, eventually, they, you know, sent him off and, you know, everything was fine. He just kind of hung around for a little bit. They got through another show, let, parted ways, and then that was when Canyon had committed suicide. Um, and, it, you know, it sucks. You know, it sucks because, again, we live in a society where, you know, so many people will find so many reasons to make others feel like absolute dog shit about themselves. And they're reasons that realistically shouldn't be a big deal. You know, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I know I grew up in a religious household. I know, like, believe me, I've heard the whole spiel about the Bible says this and this, that, and the other, yada, yada, yada. When it comes down to it, whether you like men, whether you like women, whether you like a little bit of both every once in a while doesn't matter you know as long as you are a good person and you live your life in a way that doesn't hurt anybody else doesn't force your opinions and your lifestyle on anyone who doesn't want it then good on you you know as long as you don't violate anybody else's rights as far as i'm considered you're as far as i'm concerned you're a decent person so the fact that canyon saw no other way to really get away from this whole situation then suicide was, it is just a, a messed up indictment of American society, not just in the early 2000s, but even still in certain pockets now, you know, because there are still so many places 
where the stigma of, oh, you're gay, and it's it's a matter of ridicule when it shouldn't be, you know? You know, and speaking, you know, as a father, I have, you know, if any of my kids were to express any of that sort of stuff to me, you know, I wouldn't make them feel any less loved in any way, shape, or form, you know? Just because, you know, you like who you like or you fall for who you fall for doesn't change who you are as a person. Doesn't mean one, you know, cosmic iota in the grand scheme of things as far as I'm concerned. As long as you still live your life the right way, you act the right way, you do the right things, and you put good karma out there, then you're okay in my book. And the fact that Canyon wasn't allowed to feel that a lot more from family from friends and co-workers is just sad you know but uh anything to add from either of you two you hit it nail on the head i don't want to get into it because i'll go down i'll go on a rant so i'm just gonna but yeah i agree with every single thing that you said okay ryan yeah i'm gonna Keep myself from going into this, diving into this, into the rabbit hole again for another, so I get billed for another uh, therapy session. I'm yeah. just going to say that, uh, yeah, Canyon Suicide, that was also uh, one that struck me personally, because I remember, I actually loved his Mortis gimmick when I was watching WCW. His, his, the, his flatliner finisher was practically one of my favorite finishers in the, during WCW. And the way he pulled it off was so good, too. It, it felt similar to Raven's Evenflow DTL. He just slid in there and just, even though it was him taking all that weight, he simply just took something, which is pretty much him laying on his back and maybe his opponent hitting the face, hitting their face on the floor into something that looked like a devastating move. And then also, yes, uh, him he, hearing how the, listening to the Bucks, how close their relationship to Canyon was, and DDP talking about, his time running with Canyon, uh, the nights they would have. Um, I don't know if it was true or not, but then hearing that during that time of the Dark Side of the Ring episode, it was when he actually found out he was gay. I don't know if that was true or if that was just done for the episode to, you know, to for the shock value. But even then, see how many wrestlers, seeing with Chris Canyon, hearing of the struggles the mental struggles he's had to deal with, not just with his homosexuality, but also who he was, having to put on the tough guy persona in wrestling to where, hell, so many stories we hear about now about how guys had to be uh, badasses. They had to be alpha males, uber uber masculine. And now someone like Canyon, who pretty much could have been just a regular average tough guy, he had to present himself as if he was a badass of the bad, but then also having to be conflicted with him being gay, it, it's not just something that's heartbreaking, but it's very realistic. It's so relevant. And you touched on it, James, perfectly well, especially with today. There are so many people I talk to, even those who I've come to talk who are now telling me, who are, who are telling me in private, I'm not in private, but who are sharing their stories about their sexuality or them wanting to, you know, maybe consider being trans, you know, wanting to make that, make, make that switch. So knowing that there are people out there suffering or at least going through this emotional, mental struggle and then having, feeling that they're in a safe environment to open up and tell everyone I'm gay 
or I'm bisexual or I'm pansexual or I'm going, I'm a man. So I'm making the switch to become a woman. It's, I give them so much applause for the bravery it takes from them. And for someone like me, if I'm that person on the receiving end, I'm not thinking about, oh my God, you're a different person. I'm going, wow, you trust me that much to come forward, to, to, to open yourself up like this to me? I mean, I don't want to judge someone who thinks of it as a betrayal, but what does that say about you that if someone tells you that you're, that if someone tells you they are gay or queer or, you know, wanting to be trans, what does that say in your mental state? So his passing stands as a good, uh, his, his passing stands as something that maybe, like you talk about Matt talking off the ledge, something that could have been prevented. It, it felt yeah. to me that if he had the right moral support, like what DDP is doing with so many other wrestlers who have fallen on bad times, if Kayan had that moral support, he would still be with us. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to think otherwise. But yeah, I mean, if he hadn't had just a few more people in his corner, who knows? We could talk about him maybe being a Hall of Famer by now. You know, having a great career. Uh, so it's a it's a Again, another and massive one. You know, uh, a coach, a backstage yeah. person, a backstage. And, you, and especially um, when you think about it, like Brian Cage talks hugely about how Canyon was a huge impact on his career and his persona. And, you know, because now he's got the whole thing. Who better than Cage? He literally asked Canyon, hey, can I use that? And he just said, sure. And now he does it as a huge tribute to him. So, you know, it. It sucks to think about what could have been, is all I will say, and then we'll move on. All right, so, Ryan, we move to year number three, the death of Eddie Guerrero. Okay, just like with Canyon, this one was also very personal to me because when his death was announced, I was at home with my family. This came like around the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock news. It pops up. I just remember hearing that. I was shocked. Like, I'm never – I was like, this was 2004, 5? No, 2005. No, 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 wait. 21. Yeah, 2000, right, yeah, right. 2005. Yeah, 2005. Hearing about that news and asking my dad, please don't change the channel, and hearing my uncle go, who gives a shit about wrestling? I just ignored that. But Eddie Guerrero, he was one of those wrestlers that I really loved, that didn't know exactly how much I loved him. And then, of course, with the stories of his uh, battles with addiction, how it cost him his family, and him working, busting his ass out, being one of the wrestlers who not only had a redemption story, but he bust, but he did the work. And he had people in his corner to tell him, hey, man, this isn't the end of you. Just, you know, go get recover, get back in shape, do the work, and they'll want you back again. And look what happened. He get, He's welcomed back in the WWE, has this great run with Chavo Guerrero as Los Guerreros, they lie, cheat, and steal. Him winning back the love of his life, Biggie Guerrero, getting becoming mother to his kids again, and heck, all three of us—we were on the Jericho cruise when Shaw, Chavo, and Vicky were interviewed with Jericho, talking about their stories with Eddie. Some funny stories, and you know, some emotional and sad stories. Yeah, just seeing exactly how, like how much Eddie was loved, and the legacy he's left behind, and 
especially felt today with some of my three favorite female wrestlers, Jessica McKay, Cassie Lee, and Sasha Banks. They had worn, uh, they had ring attire that is uh, in honor of Eddie Guerrero. Because I remember when the Iconics won the championship, Peyton had uh, her trunks in the style of Latino heat. Sasha does the frog splash in honor of Eddie Guerrero. And then uh, Jessica, she has used all, she's also used those same, that same attire from Cassie in during her run in Impact. Yeah. So the no, and of course, uh, Rey Mysterio being close friend, lifelong legacy, like, like really carrying that torch for Eddie Guerrero in the WWE. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and throw this up here. You guys watching at home won't be able to see it, but I picked this up. Cheating Death, Stealing Life, The Eddie Guerrero Story. Love this book. If you've not read it before, if you can find it somewhere, pick it up. It is a great, great read to know a lot more about who Eddie was and the struggle that he went through to get back to where he knew he could be. Um, Eddie Guerrero, I've said it before and I will say it again, was a once-in-a-generation talent. He was the kind of guy who could put on not not only put on a stellar match but he could have you hate him at the drop of a dime and he could have you cheer him at the drop of a dime and to have that level of basically to make each and every person in any arena that he walked into like puppets on strings and just making them dance however he wanted them to that is a special kind of talent that is a special kind of performer that is a once in a generation performer right there and i gravitated towards eddie almost immediately when i started watching wrestling he was just so good so fluid in the ring one of those guys who literally could have a good match with just about anybody and when i read about his passing i was gutted like i was emotional as all get out like and again, we'll bring this up when this comes up because I'm sure all of us have this on our list. Um, but during those tribute shows, particularly the one on Monday Night Raw, there are two individuals in particular who you can see just openly losing it during the whole situation. And yeah, um, I was a mess. I'm, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I, As hard as people would cried when CM Punk came back to wrestling. That was, I cried even harder than that the day I heard Eddie Guerrero died. Uh, Brenton, you got anything you want to add? No, you guys pretty much added on, you know, added everything I was going to say. You know, when I first, when I heard about it, yeah, it shook me to the core. Um, because it was the light. Like, it was, it was just like, it's almost like a family member being taken in, taken out of your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eddie three days before he was set to win the world title again. Yeah. That yeah. Was the worst part. And seeing, you know, and hearing interviews from, you know, different wrestlers during that tribute show, because they were given the option to wrestle or not to wrestle. Um, and, See, hearing someone um, 
like Edge talk about how there's only few people in the locker room that he can actually open up to and talk about his problems and that person make them, you know, will listen and tell them that everything's going to be okay and this, that, and the other and hearing him say that, you know, he can't believe that one of those people is gone. Um, you know, having people like that in my life and just thinking about if one of them was taken away, you know, I can't imagine, you know, lose, you know, because that locker room, they're a family. Any locker room you're in for however long you are, you're a family. Yeah. Yes, and it, it was just, you know, and just seeing the emotion, it, you know, cause it, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's just a whole, it was just an awful situation. That's all I can really say about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brent, we go to you for your number three. My number three is the Von Eric family. All right. Take it away. Slight. I mean, that's my number two. So, <laughs> oh, okay. So, never mind. Well, we'll but no, no, but he can go ahead. He can go ahead. Okay. All right. That's fine. Right. Since there's only one slot up, go ahead. Um, so, for those. Those of you that are not are not from you know that are listening are not familiar with the Von Eric family. Um, very prominent uh, wrestling family. Um, you know, had a huge rivalry in WCCW, which was in Texas against the fabulous Freebirds. Yep. Um, unfortunately, there is a dark side to this 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 family. And when I say that dark in dark side, I mean what I mean is the deaths that occurred over the short period of time yeah. and at the young ages that each of them were at 24, 23, you know, you see, you see this happen. You see these guys that are in their prime that are literally all in all, in my honest opinion, not just, um, Carrie Von Eric, who's, you know, the most, the more famous of the, of the whole family, but all of them could have been, top champions in companies. Yeah, absolutely. And I, heard, I would yeah. say there were five brothers and only one of them's left now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Kevin, I think. Kevin is the only one left. Kevin Von Eric. And, you know, and all of them, I think, except for one was by suicide. Yeah. Which, you know, it makes it even more tragic. Um, you know, it was just to see a, you know, to see a family, you know, that could have been a dynasty. Yeah. Cut short and taken from us like that. It's is absolutely, you know, one of the worst things that could happen. And, you know, but, you know, I, I don't know what else I can say about it other than it, it's just definitely one of the biggest tragedies in wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wrestling family, again, along the same lines of the Rhodes, the Guerreros, you know, uh, something that could have been a huge dynasty. And you got to wonder maybe with some of the, especially the ones who, who died of suicide, do you think maybe the perceived pressure that they felt on themselves maybe could have played into it a little bit? Like, I've got to live up to this namesake. I've got, I can't be an embarrassment. I can't be this. I can't be that. And do we think maybe that kind of came into play maybe? Cause I, I, I know for a fact, like I've felt that way in a lot of situations where I let's like, I've got to live up to whatever this person wants me to be. I can't be my own person. I've got to, this is what I've got to do. You know, it's very much, um, 
you know, for anybody who's seen the movie Encanto, uh, mm-hmm. like how a lot of people feel like they have to, this is what they have to do because there's this familial pressure to conform to a certain dynamic. And I got to wonder if maybe that had something to do, at least with the suicides. Um, but I know for a fact, like, again, any of these guys could have been top level champions in any promotion uh, by modern standpoint. And I know uh, the grandkids I know are, are starting to train with Kevin. Uh, they've been doing a lot of work. I don't know if they've necessarily had any televised matches that I can speak to, but um, um, two of them are actually signed. I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, no, go ahead. No, two sure. of them are actually signed with MLW. Okay. Very cool. So at least they're getting some, some repetition in. They're starting to build uh, a reputation. They're starting to get some more seasoning to where, who knows, maybe we could see them in a, a ring of honor or a, you know, an AEW or even a WWE or an NXT yeah. uh, somewhere down the line. So, all right. That's good to know. Thank you for that, Brendan. All right. Uh, so now we move on to me for my number three. And my number three, actually, fittingly enough, is about three different people. I didn't limit myself to just one tragedy on this one. Uh, but I, I, I went with these three because they are tragic in their own ways. And I feel like they speak to a lot of different kind of levels that we need to be aware of when it comes not just to, you know, wrestling talent, but especially female wrestling talent. So my number three is... The passing of China, Daphne, and Hanakamura. Oh, oh, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, um, just to kind of again cliff note this for anybody who maybe isn't aware, uh, China, obviously the ninth wonder of the world, uh, hugely popular during the Attitude Era, was the first female, uh, first and only, to my knowledge, uh, female WWE Intercontinental Champion. Um, yeah, still is massive, yeah, massive talent. Good. Um, unfortunately, I think left the business on a very sour note, uh, especially in terms of the WWE had a short stint in, uh, TNA when she filled in and, uh, wrestled alongside Kurt Angle against Jeff and Karen Jarrett. Uh, then after that went into the adult film industry. Um, and then, uh, not too long after that was found, uh, dead at home. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the cause of death was listed as, uh, substance overdose if i'm not mistaken of some kind uh one of you guys fact check me on that one um, yeah, i'm fairly they... certain you're right on that yeah. yeah i don't know if they go detailed with it but yeah substance yeah um well her uh, issues with substance abuse was well known especially given her uh past relationship with x-pac uh and a whole bunch of other uh situations moving on from that hanakamura was a japanese uh wrestling star who was very, very talented by all strikes of the imagination, but because of cyberbullying and a whole bunch of other just absolute nonsense, uh, ended up taking her own life in 2020, I want to say. Yeah, because uh, this was definitely around the... Yeah, this was happening. It was around the time of Double or Nothing 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Um, and then, in addition to that, uh, we have Daphne, who was a huge... Uh, name not only in WCW, but as well as uh, TNA and Impact. Uh, had a great, great run there. Was very well respected from what I can understand. And I don't know whether it was due to a mental breakdown or what, but she posted a very concerning uh, video to her Twitch stream, I believe it was, where she was seen brandishing a weapon. Uh, concerned fans started calling local authorities, trying to get in contact with anybody they knew who maybe even knew her and try to get someone over there. And unfortunately, by the time authorities were alerted 
and were able to find Daphne. She had passed away, uh, presumably from suicide. So, um, again, just three very talented ladies gone way too soon at, and, and in ways that, again, uh, were massively preventable from if people just hadn't been such absolute jackasses, you know, in a lot of situations, like especially in the case of Hanakamura, you know, like it, I get it. It's the internet wrestling Twitter hive mind that just descends upon people and just bashes them for no reason. This is why I don't tweet about pro wrestling or anything or movies or anything like that anymore, because I don't know how my words are going to impact somebody else. I could have tweeted hundred thousand things that I didn't like about Charlotte Flair or Baron Corbin or anything like that. But again, it has nothing to do with who they are as a person. It has everything to do with how they're booked. Taking personal shots at someone else is something I would never, ever do in my wildest dreams. And if you think it's funny to go out and do that just to get your own vitriol out of your mental state and your emotional state, you're a piece of shit. Because you have no idea how what you are going to say is going to impact that person. Sure, it may make you feel better about yourself, but now their blood is on your hands given these kind of circumstances. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cap myself there before I end up going on a rant. And these uh, two bozos end up charging me for it. Uh, Brenton, let's go to you first. Your thoughts, anything you want to add about the Hanukkah uh, China, or Daphne situations? Um, you touched on all of it. You know, three talented ladies, you know, you know, two, you know, should not have lost them at their, you know, at how young they were. Um, and when it comes to the whole bullying aspect, if you think that it is a good idea to talk down to someone about something or anything, look at the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Think about how it would feel if somebody else came and was like, started running their mouth and bashing you and everything. How would you feel? But the sad part is, is people don't give a fuck about that. No. And that, their opinion of themselves is so low, they don't care. Exactly. And, you know, I'm not going to get into a rant here, but I've dealt, I dealt with bullying in high school. Same. I, you know, I know how to, I knew how to get past it. And, you know, anybody that's out there dealing with bullying, you know, don't let it get to you. I know it's easier said than done. But don't let it get to you. Yeah. You know, kindness kills. It, it does. It really does. Because it will eventually show that person that they're being a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this before I, uh, before I pass it over to Ryan. The only way that someone else's words can affect you is if you let them. If you don't think enough of them to let those words affect you, what's that going to do to their ego? The fact that th what they have to say means less than squat to you. Let that sink in for a second. Ryan, anything you want to add? Um, well, honestly, I would possibly also fall into this fucking pitfall of uh, this bullying amongst fans. I mean, I understand from your perspective, perspective, James, that I, when I'm on Twitter, when I like to 
I don't try to engage too much on Twitter. And if I ever do respond to anything, like if I'm live to you about wrestling, it's only going to be to promote our podcast or if I ever do like any live reactions or we do like a discussion or if I'm watching a pay-per-view and I'm live tweeting it. That's only as close as I get to wrestling. Other than that, I see too many times of wrestlers I follow who are constantly being bashed, especially the women. So Hana Kimura's death, especially knowing that it was her death didn't even her death unfortunately wasn't even attached to her wrestling career. It was all about her being a part of a reality TV show in Japan, and those fans just consistently hounded her because they didn't like what her character or how she's or how she was coming off on the on that show. So it's even more sickening too, because especially in the in, in the U.S., how freaking like how fan, how fanatic re, like how cultish reality TV shows are here. But mm-hmm. one thing I will say though that seeing people like Han, seeing Hanukkah and how and Daphne and China their deaths really un it's hard to describe. It's just really tragic. It's just the word tragic. There's no word. There's, there's nothing else I can add or say to it that's going to undercut or overplay exactly just how messed up it was. Yeah. Bottom line is unfortunate, unnecessary, and downright preventable. I think that's the, the long and short of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ryan, we now move on to you for your number two, sir. Well, my number two was the Von Erich tragedy. That's right. That's right. So now we move to Brenton for your number two. My number two, which is probably somebody's number one, is – and so before I go into this, my number one and my number two was so hard. It was the same with me. Yeah. And I'll expand on that when I get to my number one, but my number two is the Benoit tragedy. That's my number two. My number one. Okay, we'll talk about it. So, yeah, go ahead, Brenton. Someone who, honestly, if we lost a great, great wrestler, and honestly, you know, even though the circumstances of what he did, from what I've heard from other wrestlers talk about him backstage, he was a good guy. What led, you know, there's multiple things that we know for one that, you know, that definitely the Eddie Guerrero death massively affected him, massively affected him. But we don't know what else there, you know, there could have been multiple things that attributed to this tragedy, you know, this tragedy. And if you're a wrestling fan, then I'm very certain that you know about the Benoit tragedy. Um, if you're just new into wrestling and you don't know about it, essentially what happened is he it was a it was a murder suicide. He killed both his wife and his son, and he committed suicide. Um, you there? They do not speak of Chris Benoit anymore in WWE. You know, you know. Anytime he's it's anytime he's referenced, honestly, you're kind of shocked. Yeah. Um, but it was. You know, a very tragic thing. You know, with not you know not just losing three people, but three two people being murdered, um, and one of them being and with his son being so young. Um, it it it's just such a 
it's definitely it, it was really hard to make that my number my number two but yeah same um like i said i'll touch on why my number one is my number one when we get to it but with, with that being said you know we lost a great wrestler unfortunately the circumstances I, you know i i hate the fact that those are the circumstances mm-hmm. um but you know i don't want to dig any more into it just because of it's a very dark situation to talk it's a very dark thing to talk about it is it absolutely is yeah, and for any of you who who are able to i know they have them on hulu if you have hulu watch dark side of the ring they did an excellent two-parter on the whole benoit situation starting from uh his relationship with eddie guerrero and eddie guerrero's passing and then moving into how that impacted him and everything else from everything that they talk about in this in this two-parter, because it's a, it, like I said, it's a two-part deal. They talk about how it was a combination of uh, – you can't really attribute what happened with Benoit to one thing. It, could, it was a combination, I think, of stress from being on the road, marital problems, grief with uh, regards to Eddie Guerrero, CTE, which they did a whole thing with his brain, found the, the brain of an – 85 year old dementia patient. So I think all of that kind of combined together is what ultimately led to this. I don't think it was any one thing, nor do like, nor does uh, Nancy's sister, uh, Sandra Toffoloni. Um, But again, I won't go too much deep into detail on this one, but for anyone who has not watched the dark side of the ring two parter on this one, it's the beginning of season two. Do yourself a favor, watch it again. It's very dark. It's going to be very difficult to get through. It's it's going to be an emotional ride, but you will understand the situation so much more, and you will come out of it feeling like this was necessary for closure. I think on a lot of people's parts, especially fans. Uh, Ryan, anything you want to add? Yeah, I understand why it was put on your guys number two, and honestly, uh, I almost would have knocked this off here, but knowing that. The biggest takeaway from what happened here is Benoit's career and legacy being just struck from the record. I understand this is something that you just can't. Even if WWE was able to successfully manage to at least keep the footage live, the the tape footage of his time at ECW and WCW, it will still unfortunately lead people into wondering what happened to his career afterwards. You know, like if those fans were really dedicated. And also, the, the effect – I mean, the one positive effect I can say about this was it made – it forced WWE to take this – take drug testing much more seriously now because the wellness drug policy came – protocol. Yeah, well, yeah, those two, the drug policy and concussion protocol, they, it forced the company to start taking this stuff very seriously. Now, I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but – if we want to see one spot, one sliver of light that came out of this darkness is the fact finally this multi-billion dollar company is start now has to start doing protocols in order to ensure the safety and health of their wrestlers. Then let's have that. Then that sliver should be turned into a fucking beacon, but not trying to say it's still a good thing. And then moving on from that. Yeah, the details, everything else, it's hard to talk about, knowing 
what happened with him, uh, especially this happened just days on end when it was looked like he was booked to be coming the, the WWE's ECW champion at that time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just something that it's it, you really can't go too much in it. I mean, because it over it really does undercut his whole journey in the WWE. All the great matches he had, being part of the SmackDown 6, putting on classics with Kurt Angle, his best of seven with Booker T, or best of five with Booker T. His, was, uh, I think it was the best of seven, wasn't it? Yeah, best of seven. Okay, yeah. And then him winning the United States title at SummerSlam in 26 seconds, showing yeah. the great comedic chops. Him winning that triple threat match at WrestleMania 20. Yes, his world title reign, unfortunately, was not handled well. But even then, that moment, him starting at number one at the Royal Rumble, went all going all the way to the end to win it. For those like me, James, and Brendan that were there for wrestling to watch those moments, they'll still be with us. But for those who are coming into wrestling brand new, and they, even if you come across the name Benoit, these are moments that are going to be stripped that you won't be able to watch unless there's a fan out there that happens to have that happen to record episodes of SmackDown or happen to still have purchase pay-per-view. Well, that's the thing is and that's the thing is like his matches and everything are still on the WWE network. They just don't advertise him as being part of it. Like anytime any one of his matches shows up, it just mentions his opponent taking on, you know, one heck of a superstar or trying to make a name yeah. for themselves and this, that, or the other. So um but again we can't we kind of can't get into it too deeply without bringing up a lot of old wounds and a lot of just very depressing stuff. So yeah. we won't linger on this too much longer. Uh, speaking of something we can linger on quite a bit. Uh, so the Benoit situation was uh, Ryan's number one. I've got a feeling Brendan and I have the same number one here. So I'm just going to go ahead and say I don't it. I think we talked about it's, it. <laughs> it's the literal fall of Owen Hart. Yep. That was. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. why I was wondering where was that where was that going to be placed on the list when you guys said punch? like I said the the main reason that I put Owen above Benoit is because this was so preventable, so unnecessary, yeah, and just such a textbook case of negligence that we could to this day we've got right now in AEW the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament going on. If not for this, we could be talking about Owen Hart as maybe a backstage agent or a manager in AEW, fostering the next generation because he was such a great worker, such a great character, such a just a great human being by all accounts. And for this absolute applesauce of nonsense to have robbed us of that is just infuriating. That's That's the best word I have for it is it's infuriating again for any of you guys who haven't heard about this hopefully if you guys are true wrestling fans you have for those of you who are new and aren't aware of this uh over the edge i believe it was what 1999 i want to say yep. over the yes. edge 99 over the edge 1999 uh owen hart was set to face uh was set to participate in the match he was up in the rafters above the, the uh, above the building where they were uh, performing, and uh, I want to say it was in St. Louis, or was it Kansas City? Um, I can't remember offhand. Somebody, somebody, fact check me on this one. But they were up there. He was set to be lowered in because he had this whole gimmick called the Blue Blazer, which was a superhero type gimmick. He'd be lowered in from the rafters. He'd be, you know, goofy and struggling to get out of it. This, that, and the other. 
Uh, it was meant to be a funny take on how Crow Sting would do the same thing coming down from the Raptors. Kansas City. Sorry. It Kansas was City. Kansas City. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but in any case, as he was getting ready for this, they had decided at the last minute to switch the normal carabiner, the one that had a lot of the uh, the safeties in place for rock climbers and this and that and the other, to a more quick-release clip, which wasn't meant to hold a human being's weight. Uh, as he let go in order to descend, uh, the thing snapped, which is what it was exactly meant to do. He plummeted, hit the uh, turnbuckle, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. As he as he was descending, as he was falling, yelled, look out, which again shows you the kind of person that he is. He was more worried about the people in the ring than he was about himself. Hit the turnbuckle, fell to the floor. Um, just as far as I can tell, and as far as anybody else could tell, was pretty much dead upon impact, um, was wheeled out of the arena. They made the, in my opinion, completely tone-deaf and wrong decision to continue with the show. Uh, poor JR had to just out of nowhere be told, uh, by the way, we're getting back on the air here in just a second. Uh, by the way, update on Owen. He's dead. You've got to tell the audience 30 seconds, or not even that, like five seconds. And kudos to him for putting on a brave face and getting that going. Uh, kudos to Jeff Jarrett, who was one of Owen's close friends who had to cut a promo backstage and then go out into the arena, into the ring where his friend had died and put on a match with all of that hanging over his head, literally and figuratively. And then just the absolute nonsense that his wife had to go through with putting through the investigation, what the heck happened, wanting some kind of criminal charges to be filed, but Again, being told, unfortunately, it's all going to come down to a payout. It's going to be, you know, seen as negligence. It's all it's all going to be about money. There's not nobody's going to face any jail time for this. And to see her go through that. And again, there's a great episode of Dark Side of the Ring on this uh, for any of you who don't know the details. And one of the things is, is like a lot of people for the longest time have said, you know, Owen should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, which no one can dispute. He's absolutely earned it his widow will never allow that to happen because she doesn't want the company to profit off of his name, the same company that killed him. And in a way, again, after seeing that dark side of the ring episode, I can't blame her, which is why I think it's great that she's seeing the respect and everything that AEW has for the wrestling industry to partner the Owen Hart foundation with them for the, both the men's and the women's Owen Hart tournaments to sell Owen Hart merchandise and all the proceeds going back to the foundation, this, that, and the other. Personally, I think that's great. And there's a way that we have to remember Owen through that. I think is wonderful. It's just sad that the place where he made his name will never be able to honor him that way. But again, it's through Vince McMahon's own tone-deaf, bullheaded decision-making. Uh, Brenton, anything you wish to add? Um. You touched on one of the reasons, which was the stupid decision to switch the the carabiner from that used for rock climbing that can hold the weight of a grown ass man to one that you clearly know it cannot hold a human being. All because they wanted a quicker disconnect so they could get into the. the it would mat. make it. It would have made it. What and I don't get is if you're wanting a, a comedic aspect of it, it would you know having him 
try to struggle in a one that's like one that's supposed to protect you, that would make more that would have made more sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. But the, and two, the other reason I put it as my number one is not only did it affect his family, not only did it affect the wrestlers backstage, but it affected thousands of people in attendance yeah. because they literally watched a death happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you encounter something like this, like there's a random car accident that happens in front of you as you're driving down the highway. That's one thing. But to be in an arena full of what, let's say 50,000 people, roughly speaking, and to watch a man fall 30, 40, 50 feet straight down to his death, like that, that is something. There were kids in attendance. Like, can you imagine how seeing that must have scarred those kids for life? That's it's that it's seeing your to some of them it was seeing their hero. Yeah, yeah. Those who were aware of that one was the you know the blue blazer. Those who were aware of yeah, yeah, and you know, and it's one of those things like you can't help. You're you're just everybody's just helplessly watching as. This poor as Owen is literally falling to his death, and they can't, you know, nobody can do anything about it. All because of oh, we think this this is going to be a lot easier. Oh, let's fuck fuck the safety part of it. You yeah, know, it is very it is that you know, and I think yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Owen has ab is Owen definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But I, like you say, kudos to his wife for doing that, and you know, and how AEW has shown that they re- respect, you know, you know, late great wrestlers. For her to allow AEW to do that, you know, hopefully, you know, one day there's going to be an AEW Hall of Fame, which I'm sure there will be, and maybe Owen will finally get inducted, even though you know, even though it's not where he made his name, but it'll be he'll at least be in a hall of fame yeah. where he belongs. Yeah, absolutely. And he and from what I understand, he's been inducted into other Hall of Fames. She's allowed that. It just she will never allow WWE to make profit off of his name to sell tickets to a ceremony with his name attached to it. And especially because you know like they'd they'd sell tickets to the Hall of Fame ceremony itself and WrestleMania both nights where they'd you know parade the Hall of Famers and this that and the other. That's never going to happen. And again, I don't blame her one iota. Yeah. Nope. nope. Me neither. Um, it's. I mean, look. I, oh, I mean, you guys definitely have great reasons why it was number your number one. It was only number four for me because um, it was around that time where Owen Hart's death was the thing that actually made me aware of him as a wrestler. And mm-hmm. this is like a, this is not the main issue because. Look, I know little the Von Eric family as well, but the reason why I had them at my number two was because of just how the you said it best, James. The 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 pressure, the familial pressure it was of a legacy on them. Especially you look at the adverse side with the Hart family themselves. Stu Hart, great wrestler, creates his own wrestling academy, the Hart Dungeon. So many wrestlers learn from him. There, 
in, in a legacy of its own. Then you have Brett and Owen, two brothers coming into this industry. Of course, Brett, the older one, he's the he's the more the success is put on his back, and the great storytelling wrestling that both Owen and Brett did as a tag team and against each other. Yeah. Like it's bar none. So. But and I'm not going to touch any more about the accident, about his impending death that both of you have touched on. It was a stupid decision. It was unnecessary. It was beyond idiotic. And of course, Vince McMahon showing that once again proving he is not the uh, businessman he thinks he is, because any normal businessman or promoter would have stopped this event, stopped the pay per view, let everyone go home. Try to, uh, you know, do their best to clean up. Not when I say clean up the mess, not like you know sweeping under the rug, but try to fix or try to get a handle on the situation. So damage control, damage control, yeah, damage control. So maybe then most of the matches that were at over the edge, they can just push it onto Raw, and then maybe another week later they do a tribute show for Owen Hart. But I remember watching Raw about that. Not much of a tribute to him. Only a couple of wrestlers mentioned him in name, like Jeff Jarrett. Oh, Stone Cold puts a beer in the you know the middle of the ring for him. The more the only place that actually dealt more with the seriousness of Owen Hart's passing was WCW, of course, which is channeled through Brett. But even then, seeing how Owen Owen's wife, she no, she has every reason to never trust this coming again. Especially seeing what they've done to Brett. What Especially, we talked about we talked about our previous episode of you know going through our um, uh, bracket of wrestling moments. We talked endlessly of the Montreal screw job. That screw job alone, the effect it had on so many wrestlers, from Brett to Jim Anthel Neidhart to Owen Hart to uh, Davy Boy Jones, because everyone who was related or who, who knew the Hart family, it broke a split on who should be loyal. You are the loyal to Brett or you're loyal to the company. And of course, with Nighthard and Owen, who chose to stay with the company, they were un- they were un- they were needlessly punished for no damn reason, but because Brett decided to leave. And so, with the whole Blue Blazer thing, especially looking at it, makes me feel like this was just another uh, burden that Owen had to carry in order to be successful in this company. Yeah. But I will I will end things off here today on a lighter note. I remember when Brett was inducted into the the WWE Hall of Fame, he told a great story about um, Owen Hart and uh, some of his famous ribs. Like, he he was apparently a huge jokester in this, that, and the other. And there was one day where he called the family house and pretending to be one of the neighbors uh, and started an argument with their dad, Stu, you know, just, just egging him on and egging him on and egging him on. And uh, Stu finally goes... Well, if you wanted to try me, why didn't you try me? And then he hangs up the phone, and then he just looks at Brett, and he goes, that bastard Owen, he got me. <laughs> he, knew, he knew he was being played, and I'm just like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, again, it sucks that we have to talk about Owen because in the way that we do because you, again, like with a lot of these tragedies, it's a matter of you can't help but wonder what if. What if this hadn't happened? What if... Owen had said no to this whole situation. What if he just came down the ramp instead, you know, and it's, it's crazy to think like 
I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big believer in the multiverse theory. And I got to think there's somewhere out there in the, in the, in one of the vast pieces of the multiverse where Owen Hart is, you know, still a family man, still involved in his kids' lives, uh, has had gone on to win multiple world titles, uh, and has just been a, a bright beacon for the professional wrestling industry. And that's part of what keeps me going when I talk about stuff like this is somewhere out there in the, in the vast multiverse, there is a situation where he has lived a full life, has been a great father and has given back to the wrestling business tenfold what he put into it. Yeah. So well said. All right. guys. Well, that is going to wrap it up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us here today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us again. A little bit more of a downer kind of episode here today, but you know, we can't just talk about the fun aspects of wrestling. Sometimes we've got to get into uh, the, the grittier, the, the darker, the less savory side, uh, shall we say. And again, if any of you guys do want to know more about some of the tragedies that we talked about here today, and even some of the other ones that we didn't talk about, like the assassination of Dino Bravo and like uh, the killing of gorgeous Gino, all of this kind of stuff, definitely go and check out Vice's Dark Side of the Ring. There are many, many episodes available on uh, Hulu. There's stuff about the Fabulous Moolah, Luna Vachon, a whole bunch of other really, really great episodes. Definitely check it out. That is going to wrap it up for us, though, here today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us, as always. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and leave us a nice little review. Thumbs up if you liked it. Uh, You know, five stars is uh, greatly appreciated. But if you didn't really feel like we did that, uh, a five-star job, let us know about it. We can take some criticism. Uh, Also, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on any of your podcast feeds, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, uh, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, anything like that. Go ahead and get us uh, downloaded so that way you don't miss another episode whenever we have these coming out. Uh, Thank you once again on behalf of my co-host, Mr. Ryan Payne and Mr. Brenton McPherson. We appreciate you being here. We have rambled, we have raged, but as always, it is due to one thing and one thing only, and that is our love of professional wrestling. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. And until then, hey ref, ring the bell. See you guys next time.